We'll come to God's word now. Let's pray. Father God, help us as we look into your words to understand it better. Father, help us to live it out too. In Jesus' name. Amen. What do you reckon is the most famous chapter in the Bible? Now, there's no definite answer to it, but if I had to go for one, I reckon from the number of weddings and funerals I've been to over the years, I'd have to go with 1 Corinthians 13. You know how that one goes? Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As you can see from that, if you've not heard it before, that's a, a chapter about love. That's why it's favourite uh, favourite at weddings, though not the one we had uh, on Friday. What most people don't know is, though, that actually it's a chapter that follows a chapter on how we use our spiritual gifts as part of the body of Christ. Now that may ring a bell if you were with us last week, as that's what last week's passage was about. And just as 1 Corinthians 13 then goes on to describe love, so this section here is another ode to love that follows a passage on spiritual gifts. And just like the one in 1 Corinthians 13, this passage is there to remind us what genuine love is. Not Hollywood love, not Hallmark's greeting cards love, not based on a smile love, but genuine love, real love, the love we're to have for one another, especially as brothers and sisters in Christ. The love described here is how we are to love one another as believers in Jesus, receivers of God's mercy and as living sacrifices to God, as we're called to be in verse one. So what does that kind of love look like? Well, our first point is there at the beginning uh, of verse 9. Love without a mask on. Have a look with me again at verse uh, 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Now I've called this section love without a mask on. Paul here calls us to love. But not just to any love, to genuine love. It literally means unhypocritical love. It's virtually the same word there. Fake love is no good, says Paul. We must love from the heart. And love here is Paul's shorthand for all the actions that flow from our renewed mind, our new self. All that we do in response to God's great mercy towards us. Paul will go on to say in chapter 13 that this is the sum of the whole Bible, if you like, the whole law of the Bible. So Romans 13 verse 8 Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. He's saying there that love is is what we do in response to God. But love is such a flexible term in the Greek and in the English as well, that Paul feels the need to define the kind of love that he's talking about. Well, I mean, so for example, in English, it's very flexible, isn't it, normally? You can use the word love whether you love your children, your partner, the queen, or an ice cream. Hopefully you don't love your children in the same way that you love an ice cream. So Paul here explains the kind of love that he means. Genuine love, unhypocritical love. So our heading is love without a mask. 
Now, I'm not here insinuating that you should stop wearing a face mask. Actually, at times such as this, wearing a face mask is a loving thing to do. It stops you getting your germs on other people. But the mask we wear is far more subtle than some blue and yellow face mask. The mask we wear is an actor's mask. In the old world, world theatre actors would wear masks to act in theatre, to pretend to be someone else. And the Greek word for actor eventually became our word for someone who pretends to be someone else, someone who wears a mask. It became our word hypocrite. But Paul says here we are to love unhypocritically. What would it mean, though, to love hypocritically? What would it be the opposite of? Well, that would be an acted love, wouldn't it? A fake love. A love that's only skin deep. A loving face on the mask, but something else going on behind it. And this is so important. Paul just doesn't want to change our actions. He actually wants our hearts to change. He wants our attitudes to change. As we love our brothers and sisters, as we're called to do in verses 1 to 8, we're not to love them with fake feelings. As we serve them, we're to do it genuinely, with love towards them. We're not to fake it till we make it. We're to have and show love for one another, not just pretend to love other people. And Paul, for the next few verses, is going to show us what unhypocritical love looks like. Something that shows on the outside, yes, but comes from the inside. Love that is felt both internally and displayed externally. So we're going to have a look at the rest of verse 9. Uh, this morning, and then consider the other verses over the coming weeks. But the first feature of love that is genuine and unhypocritical uh, is our doing good and shunning evil. But not just as an external thing, as an internal thing. So feature one of love without a mask on is our next point, loathing evil. Loathing evil. Have a look with me again at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. The word abhor there is a really strong word. It's the only time this exact word is used in the whole Bible. It's really an an old Greek word to hate with a bit extra added to make it even stronger. It's like far and away hate. It's like beyond hate. It's detest, really detest, really loathe. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, do we really loathe evil? If you want to have a life away from evil, then we really need to loathe evil from the heart. Do we really loathe evil? I imagine that most of us would want to say yes, but do we really? Are we really repelled by evil? Does it make our blood boil and our stomachs churn? I guess it depends on what we mean by evil. The word wickedness, uh, the word there means wickedness or hurtfulness. In Romans 1, it's what we were filled with before God stepped in. It was the product of a debased mind, so Romans 1, 28 and 29. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. 
It goes on to say that instead of hating evil, we hated God. So Romans 1, 29 and 30. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God. The word there for hate is that strong Greek word, just without the extra bit to make it even stronger. Evil is something that we were full of. Not hating evil, but hating God. We were more like the people that we heard about in Micah earlier in the year. So Micah chapter 3. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil. You see, naturally, far from hating evil, we love evil. We were full of it. But nobody would claim that for themselves, would they? No one would say, oh yes, that's me. That wickedness, that hurtfulness goes unnoticed by most people. And that poses a danger for us as believers. Could there still be evil dwelling inside us? I'm sure there is, but do we see it? So we need to consider carefully. Do we loathe evil? We want to say yes, but is it only the evil that we already dislike? The evil that's being done to me? That I dislike, loathe even. That gets my blood boiling. But what about the evil we commit? Do we loathe that? Do we say with Paul in chapter 7 as we consider the evil inside us, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Or do we say, well, nobody's perfect, given the circumstances. Well, you would have done the same. Well, it wasn't really my fault. Well, I had no other option. Well, he had it coming. Well, she deserved it. We've got a real tendency, haven't we, to minimise our own evil making excuses for our sin to make it seem smaller. But other people's evil, we tend to magnify, don't we? So do we minimise our evil, or do we hate our evil with a passion? Not minimising it, but owning it and loathing it. Evil is not a pet to be coddled and excused away. It's a predator to be found, bound and killed. How can we do that, though? How can we foster a hatred for evil within ourselves? Well, let me give you three suggestions. First one, consider its cause. Consider its cause. If you find yourself apathetic to the evil inside you, think about where it came from. Evil came into our world by the devil, our enemy, the accuser, the father of lies, the one who opposes God. Evil is not neutral. It comes from the enemy and it's a tool of the devil. It's there to hurt us. It's there to trick us. And it's there to hurt God. Its very purpose is anti the God that we claim to love and is from his enemy. How could you be indifferent to the missiles that an enemy sends to hurt the ones you love? Could you live passively with the knife that was used to kill your beloved one? Evil is a tool of the devil, so we cannot be indifferent about it in ourselves. So that's the first thing, consider its cause. Secondly, consider its consequences. The word at the root of this word for evil is pain, hurt. This is hurtfulness. This is painfulness. Not necessarily for you, but for someone. There are no victimless sins. 
There are no innocent evil. Evil corrupts us and it hurts others. That's the reason, if you're wondering, why hating evil is included here as part of our love. How can you not hate something that hurts people that you love? How can you not hate something that twists and warps people who are made in the image of God that we love? All the suffering and pain we see in the world is a result of sin and evil. Now don't hear me wrong, not that individual sin inevitably leads to individual suffering. We're not talking about that merciless idea of karma. But suffering came into the world as a consequence for evil. Death came into our world as a consequence for sin. Some people when they suffer curse God. Some people when their loved ones die blame God. But why not blame evil and curse it? Why not let that hatred and anger attack the real cause, sin and evil? When you see suffering in this world, let it lead you to hate the evil within rather than God. Let it teach you to abhor evil. So consider its cause, consider its consequences, and then finally consider its cost. Evil sent Jesus to the cross. It led to suffering in a very specific way. Every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning his blood-stained brow, goes to him. And it's true. Your evil sent Jesus to the cross. He went there to pay for it. What a love, what a cost. Your evil made the one you love suffer and die in your place. If you don't hate the evil within, about, within you, think about the cross. Think about the most kind, loving and gentle man that ever lived, beaten and hung naked on the cross, paying the debt for your evil. And that should begin to take away your indifference towards it in your heart. So think about its cause, think about its consequences and think about its cost. Should make us hate sin within us, shouldn't it? But has this got anything to say about evils in our world, not just in ourselves? Well, we need to tread carefully, don't we? If we don't detest evil in our hearts, then openly denouncing it in the world would be the model of hypocrisy, wouldn't it? It would be exactly what this passage is warning us against. We all know the damage done by preachers preaching one thing, only to be revealed that they were doing the very same things they were preaching against. Not detesting evil, just denouncing it, but secretly delighting in it. That was the problem at the beginning of Romans. They were a group who were judging. And uh, they judged the, the other people that God hates as the evildoers. They denounced them. Yet their actions didn't match their words. They disapproved, but they did the very same things in secret. Don't go there, says Paul. Don't be a hypocrite. Yet your love be unhypocritical. It can be loving to help another person in their struggle with sin. And part of that can be pointing it out, even rebuking, the Bible says. That's one of the things that a man of God is called to do in 2 Timothy. But equally, we must learn the lesson of the man with a plank in his eye, going for the speck in his brothers. The one with the plank is the one here that Paul is going after, the hypocrite cherishing sin in himself while denouncing it in another. 
That doesn't mean we need to be perfect before we can help others with their sin. We looked at this very passage about the plank only a few months ago. I'd refer you back to that talk. But the thing is to make sure that you're loathing sin in yourself before you try and sort it out in others. And don't go about it in a harsh, judgmental way. So Paul writes in Galatians 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. It doesn't mean that we don't speak, but it does affect how we speak. It also doesn't mean that we can't speak of our evils in our world like genocide and discrimination and corruption or issues like unrestricted abortion. But again, it should affect how we speak about them. We can declare God's world boldly, but we must do it with our own ears open. If I may quote Romans 2, which was directed at the Jews of Paul's day, but is equally applicable to us as Christians, Romans 2, 21 and 22. You who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, literally, literally disgusted by idols. Do you rob temples? Are we doing the very things that we want to denounce in one form or another? Are we denouncing evils in one form while cherishing them in another? If we're to love unhypocritically, we must really loathe evil, all evil, in our own hearts too, in our own hearts more. If we're to avoid hypocrisy, we need to make sure we aren't just looking at others, but at ourselves. But there's a flip side to this. We're to loathe evil, yes, but that's not enough. The second feature of unhypocritical love, and our last point, is feature number two, gluing yourself to the good. Let me look at verse nine again. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. The phrase there, hold fast, literally means to glue. Now, geeky French teacher moment here. I trained as a French teacher. Do you remember your GCSE French? Or O-level French, probably, for some of you. You remember in my pencil case there is, dans ma trousse il y a, and you had to learn your baton de col, didn't you? Baton de col, a glue stick. Well, they got their word straight from Greek, col. And it's the same word here, kole, to be glued to. He says to be glued to the good. Glue yourself to what is good. It's also the same word that Paul uses to describe marriage in other letters. So Ephesians 5, 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We had a reminder of this uh, on Friday at Doug and Laura's wedding. There's a new bond there. They're joined together, glued together in marriage. What they are to one another, we are to be with the good. We're to love good so much that we stick ourselves to it. We're to be that close to it. A voluntary supergluing to good. Inseparable, so that none can tear us apart from it. And this is where the genuineness comes in. Are you stuck to the good, or just like people to think that you are? What will it take for you to ditch the good, to unstick yourself? 
If we keep with the marriage picture, what would it take for you to leave the good for a few hours, slip off your wedding ring and indulge your own passions? If we're to love unhypocritically, we must have integrity. We must be unpartable from the good, inseparable. I remember learning at school about the Salem witch trials in GCSE English. Lots of crazy things going on there. But within them, there were believers who refused to be separated from the good, who refused to lie and admit to sorcery, even though it would cost them their lives. Are we that married to the good? Are we more stuck to it than to our phones, our devices? Do we have that much integrity that we don't just do good when it's easy, but when it's hard too? Do we love the good so much that we will not be separated from it? But I guess part of it means what it depends on what he means by good. The word good is like the word love, isn't it? We mentioned earlier, it can mean lots of things. What is God like? God is good. What is your husband like? He's a good man. What is your child like? He's a good boy. What is your cheesecake like? It's a good cheesecake. What's your salad like? It's good. Not great, but good. They can't all mean the same thing, can they? We don't mean a child is good in the same way as God. And we don't mean a cheesecake is good in the same way as a man or a woman. Bible words have Bible meanings. Words in particular books of the Bible sometimes have particular meanings even within the book. In the immediate context, what is it that's good? Well, it's there in verse 2. The will of God. What is good, acceptable, and perfect? What is the good that we're to cling to, that we're to stick ourselves to? It's the will of God. And what was the will of God? Well, we saw it was offering our lives as living sacrifices to him daily, laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That is what is good. Not good like a cheesecake, but good morally. This is the right way to live. This is the opposite of evil. This is the opposite of hurtful. Instead of bringing pain, it brings peace to others. Instead of doing harm, it does good to others. Of course there are other things that are good in Romans. The law when it's rightly used. The news about Jesus that we're to spread. The plan for our lives that God is working out. But all of this is part and parcel of this laying down our lives as living sacrifices. Testing God's will in the sense of living it out. We're to glue ourselves to it. We're to marry ourselves to it. This is our life's mission, encompassing all else. If we are to love unhypocritically, we must genuinely love and stick to God's will. But how can we do that? Love is not just something we can sort of switch on and off. How can we foster a love for the good that God would have us do? Well, let me give you three suggestions again briefly. Firstly, consider the genuineness of God. Consider the genuineness of God. Consider his integrity. He calls us to live a life of sacrifice, but he doesn't do so hypocritically. He loves us unhypocritically. He calls us to do this, but he himself has lived a life of sacrifice. Indeed, he made the ultimate sacrifice. He chose to live a life of sacrifice when he came to earth. He could have made himself a prince. 
He could have made himself a lord, but instead he came as a humble carpenter's son. He could have worn a crown of gold, instead he chose to wear a crown of thorns. God has been there. He doesn't call us to do something that he hasn't. He calls us to live as Jesus did. He calls us to the best way. So consider the genuineness of God. Secondly, consider the generosity of God. Consider his mercy. That's what Romans 12 verse 1 calls us to do, doesn't it? In light of God's mercy, his kindness towards us, his sacrifice for us, well, that should remind us of the goodness of sacrifice for others, shouldn't it? If we're astounded by his sacrifice for us, if we're bowled over by his love for us, then we should consider that our sacrifice for others, in some small way, will be a little taste of that. If we can see the goodness of Christ's sacrifice, if we can love that, then we should see the goodness in our own sacrifice and come to love that too, as a miniature of what Jesus has done as a picture of his great mercy, kindness and generosity for us. So consider his generosity and let that cause you to see the worth and the goodness of your own life lived in that way. So consider the genuineness of God, consider the generosity of God, and then finally consider the alternatives. So you know final G there. Consider the alternatives. If we don't genuinely cling to the good... What are the other options? Well, option number one, we pretend. Two-faced, fake love of the good. The very hypocrisy we're called to avoid. Option two, we don't do good. No love of good, no acts of good. There's no hypocrisy there, but there's no good either. That's a more common option than you might think. You see, there's a tendency in churches, isn't there, to make it all about loathing evil. We like that bit. But forget to do some genuine good to people. So that's option two. No good, but no hypocrisy. And then option three. We cling to something else. We carry on clinging to evil in our hearts. Even if not in our actions, but in our thoughts. But we've dealt with that really in in section one. We need to loathe that too. And not cling to that, but cling to the good. If we want to foster our love for good... We need to keep considering those three things. The genuineness of God, the generosity of God, and the alternatives. And that should begin to help us love the good more, to cling to it, to be glued to it. So here we have the beginnings of unhypocritical love. Over the next few weeks, we'll see more of what Paul means by that. But let's put into practice this week what we've already learned today. Loathing evil from the heart gluing ourselves to the good, trying to foster those two, not just in our actions, but in our attitudes, not just on the outside, but on the inside. You know, this may not be the most famous passage about love, not quite 1 Corinthians 13, but it's a crucial one. If we want to love the way Jesus wants us to love, if we want to offer our bodies as living sacrifice, loving and serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we need to do what Jesus says, what Paul says to us, and what God says to us through his word. So let's pray that God would give us the strength to do that this week. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would help our love to be genuine for one another. Father, help us 
Change our hearts, Father, so that we abhor evil and cling to what is good. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.